G'day, my name's Martin Murray and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. Right, g'day and welcome back. So today we're here with Marty again. We're, uh, we've just watched episode one, season two of Clarkson's Farm and um, Marty's actually probably missing a fair bit of context here because he hasn't seen the rest of season one. He's only seen those first two episodes I think we did yeah that'd be right Mars is the first two episodes and then I didn't do my homework before starting the second season so yeah, yeah I should give you my login to Amazon no um, but yeah so anyway hooked in watched the second season just episode one and um, yeah got to see a, a bit of how they operate there they covered off on the harvest harvest logistics around harvest um a bit of livestock, so going back into livestock, not sheep, but... Yeah, yeah, d- diversifying the farming business uh, to compensate for the lack of subsidies, which is something that, I don't know, I don't think we've... Yeah, they didn't really touch on it other no, than the whole Brexit thing. Yeah, it sort of builds... That. I've seen the rest of the season, spoiler alert, but it, it yeah, builds and it covers on that thrill. It, it really sets up the... The whole season for trying to get that restaurant established, which we saw the quote for. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, a few other things. Yeah, so I guess leading off from last season, they were dealing with too much moisture and obviously got it all the way through to harvest because they were harvesting. And um, looking at their methods of harvesting, they started harvesting at 15.9% moisture. Yeah, yeah, and again, because you didn't see the rest of it. It actually, it, it did one of those classic things like it did with our summer crop here this year. Mm. It started really wet and turned dry. Yeah. So that, they didn't have much of an issue in the harvest in the first season, but a lot of rain this season. Yes. So um, 15.9 and their normal take rate or receivable rate is 15.5% moisture, which is... 3% above us. Yeah, which I can understand with the high rainfall environment and a lot of cloudy weather. It'd be very hard to dry crops down properly, but there'd have to be a lot of grain drying going on within that region. Yeah, and I think that is something, because I, I raised this on Twitter after the first season when they were talking about the moisture levels that they can accept, and they do they do take a... Um, a lot higher moisture grain than we do here because most of the receival sites have drying. Um, but what did they say that stuff went was really hot? Was 16 yeah, six, something? 16.4 or something. Um, yeah, nine pounds a tonne to dry, which is... And then they didn't pay you for the weight difference, what the moisture was, which worked out for the truckload. It was a tonne difference. Yeah, which strikes me as still a bit high, but... Mm. Um, just going off, I think they're running about 30 ton trucks yeah. going, they're, they're single trailers and they said earlier on that they'd pulled off three trailer loads which was 36 ton and they reckon there was about 5 ton left in the bunker there when they finished so it would, yeah, it still strikes me as a high percentage of moisture but I haven't done the math to work it out No, no, but Anytime you're removing moisture, you are removing weight. If you could get that sweet spot where you're getting a little bit extra weight out of your sample, it's always good, but very fine line to walk when you're... Well, it is, it is, and... You can't just trickle a hose in there and try to get a bit extra weight out of it. No, no, but I do know uh, in the cotton game, when they gin cotton, they dry it right out in the ginning process. Then the last thing they do before they bale it is they add water to bring it back up to that maximum moisture. Yeah. Which, fair enough, I'll do the same. Yes, especially bulk commodities. Everything's paid per kilo basis, which 
sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. So Yeah, yeah, which is something I have to bring up constantly at meetings every now and then. I'm yeah. paid per ton. Yeah, paid per ton. Don't really care about anything else. So you touched on it just there before, the logistical constraints. So they had like a bunker set up with a telehandler instead of a field bin or a mother bin. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then they were loading pretty much out of that into trucks and truck drivers were really hard to get at that point in time. Yeah. Which was interesting because you've got the, uh, well, I mean, you've got that bunker set up, but they didn't have any contingency for if they couldn't get the truck, which they should have known they couldn't because of the truck driver shortage. They end up having five ton on the ground that got rained on. With no tarps and no way of waterproofing at all. It no. It was just a dump and run and hopefully load it the same day. That's it. And, and you touched on it there. It's like, well, you know, why didn't they just put it back in the chase if you didn't park it in the shed and got no idea? Why not? Yes. It, um, look, but, especially in a high rainfall environment, I know the first thing you're thinking about when you've got grain is a contingency plan. If you get a storm or something... What are you going to do? How are you going to tarp everything up quickly? And what's waterproof and what's not? It's, yeah, it's very paramount that you're sort of working that out quickly. And that's it. You're out at my place there this morning. You would have seen just in the front gate. We've got sorghum harvest coming up. We've got a fairly rough bunker set up there just inside the front gate. Good access for trucks. Yep. I hope to not use it. I did see a bunker tarp there, so that's a start. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah, well, I haven't haven't put the top tarp with the bunker, but the ground sheet. Yeah, everything's everything's ready. Yeah, and I do have hay bales there, which, um, yeah, like Clarkson, although I don't have people setting fire to my hay bales every harvest. Yeah, that obviously just a bit of youth running around. Yeah. stirring stuff up in in the district for him. Yeah, but I mean, if it keeps happening, why not swap the concrete? Yeah. Well, I guess hay bales are easy to move, but really, why wouldn't you just have a size concrete trailer park there, or a, yeah, yeah, with an auger, and yeah, and then you can move it if it does get wet. Yeah. So, and um, which talking augers? Yes, the, that was a great drone shot of the um, of when they were unloading into the chaser bin, because obviously in the Australian context, when you're in that chaser bin, if you don't have an extended auger. You're generally trying to get, you know, as close as you can to the header without hitting the front. Yes. Whereas yeah, it's actually quite dicey sometimes how close you are. Yeah, yeah, it can make you pretty nervous in the tractor. Yes. But in that drone shot, he was trying to get as close as he could to the like the far side of the crop without being in the crop to unload. It was. Um, the complete reverse just because of how narrow their fronts are yeah and i guess the narrow fronts are just off capacity like the headers certainly do have capacity but some of those high yielding crops you don't want a 40 foot front no 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 imagine sucking through 10 ton of grain on one of them yeah what's be... the record now i think it's it went to a guy in england i think it was like an 18 ton wheat crop or maybe out. that was his barley yeah i'll keep rambling while you google that um weevils that was the other thing Yes. Remarking on the amount of weevils that were there. Although we just looked up what our receivable standards are and it was three per sample, so... Or ten small ones. Or ten small ones, which yeah. Which were mites. Which, yeah, mites yeah. and aphids. Count, count ten mites in your sample. Yeah, good luck. You'd be doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, but weevils, I think it was three. Three. Yeah. And there was far less than that, but you know. Yeah. Yes. 17.96 tonne is the world record. That's close. Yeah. It is that, was that wheat or barley? Uh, that is for wheat. Yeah. Yeah. Lincolnshire. Yeah. 
Yeah, before that it was in New Zealand, 17.4. Yeah, I've been to that farm. Yeah, it's quite quite impressive actually. That's a that's a lot of grain per hectare. It is, it is. And you should, like, yeah, I was really lucky um, back when I was working commercially as an agro, I got to do a trip over there and, mm. and go see that farm and see that operator and, yeah, it was very impressive. Yes. Soil type, similar to what we're sort of dealing with here, heavy black clay. Yeah, it was more loamy silty mix like it was a yeah it was interesting yeah but it's nearly a 12 month crop yeah right it was just long yeah so you're you're like sowing in february and harvesting at the end of december early january was it did you know i can't remember i think it might have been almost yeah right so proper long season Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 like it was yeah anyway yep i it would the, the logistics there at Harvest would do my head in, but yeah, that's I'd probably also not be complaining with 17 tonne. No, no, it'd probably solve a lot of problems if it only cost you two tonne to grow. Yeah, yeah. until you work out the, uh, the fertiliser bill for next year to replace all those yeah. nutrients. It'd be quite huge, huge. Which, um, although, complete tangent here, but world record corn crop, I think it's about 42 tonne a hectare. Of grain. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I know you're cutting that for silage. You're doing well. Oh man, that's a that's a huge crop. Yeah. Yeah, that's God. Just in product removal alone, off that grain, like let yeah. alone what's tied up in that stubble for yeah for twelve months. That's a yeah. That's yeah. quite impressive. That'd obviously be out of a soybean rotation, most likely. Or I think they just grow soybeans just mm. for something different over there. Um, old mate has. I mean, it's been a while since I've looked up that. I'm just Googling it now. Uh, While you're talking corn too, I didn't realise it because he said the corn's ready to harvest. And I'm like, oh, they got corn at the same time as they got wheat. But over there, they refer to pretty much any crop that's ready to harvest as corn. Yeah. Yeah, which is something that I I sort of knew in the back of my head. But when he was talking, I couldn't register it. So, yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting one. Um, right, I Six hundred and sixteen bushels an acre in twenty nineteen, which is that sounds like a lot. Corn bushels per acre to this is going to be terrible. This Amer- America's the only place that does bushels. Yeah, still, I know. isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, bushels per square kilometre. Yeah, something. yeah. Right. Yeah. Fourteen point eight seven equals one metric ton per hectare. So still a few ton. Divided by fourteen point eight seven. Forty one point four two tons per hectare. That's a lot. That is like it's pretty well a B double a hectare. Yeah, that's that's a that's a lot of grain. That is it's just a massive mm. amount. And just because it also came up on the same search. 459.51 is the dryland record, which is. Okay, this is going to be terrible audio. Why we Google? <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> which is 30.9 tons. Yeah, so that's still hectare. pretty impressive. For that's dry still land. massive. Yeah, yeah, that's. Like, You've done a few corn crops up here. What would you be working on for yield? Oh, anywhere from 
if you if you're getting above six, you're doing well. Like yeah. in general, yeah, that's, um, that's about what I would have thought. There's been a couple of bumper crops that have been up around that twelve with grain, um, but yeah, it's sort of semi irrigated or pretty pretty good season, very yeah. good flowering. Um, yeah, under irrigation, sort of eighteen was going to be a top out, but it did get cut to silage, which it yielded pretty high. So, yeah, yeah, it's um it's quite interesting old corn. Yes, yeah. No, anyway, moving on, going to the subsidies that they mentioned with Brexit. Yeah. So, oh, well, how much do you know? Do you know much about their subsidy scheme? Not a great deal, other than they get subsidised to have farmland, essentially. Is yeah, pretty much. So yeah. they, they used to, my understanding is, and I'm sure some, well, there's going to be no one British listening to this because they all hate Australians at the moment. Um, so it doesn't matter if I get it wrong. But talk about limiting your audience. Yeah, it's only Jeremy that's really upset at Australians. Well, no, no, you go on Twitter. Yeah, but there's a few there. Um, yeah, so they got a a basic. I think they called it just the basic payment or something, something like that. It was just a flat per hectare type fee. Plus, they may have got some other ones for environmental stuff. Mm. Um, but I think. I think he got about £80,000 in subsidies. He mentioned that in the first season, which that's yeah, 140-odd thousand Australian. Mm-hmm. It's, um, a, it's enough to make a business case of. Yeah, that would that would solve a lot of my problems. Yes, but just think, if you had it for two or three years, oh, yeah. you'd set up a business of it, be able to run a profitable enterprise by spending a bit extra money because you've got that in the yeah. pocket. And then if it gets ripped away, you're very inefficient very quickly. Yeah, plus think of, like, I don't know what land values are worth over there, mm-hmm. but I imagine they are fairly large given the amount of, well, like, yeah, the amount of money that they just get just for having the land. Yeah, so yeah. scarcity of land and also productivity of that land yeah. too. I think three or five years I've been pretty well the same position I am now. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get accustomed what your back yeah. it's got most, most of the time. Exactly. Plus, you know, they haven't really touched on it in here, but you see like all those dry stone walls and that. And, um, I can't remember what you get. Was Gerard the, Gerald the wall builder? Did you see him in the first he, couple of episodes he, he we watched? Couldn't, he couldn't speak English properly. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that yeah. guy. Yeah. 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 So like he's going around pretty well full time maintaining these walls. I don't know, but I sort of assume there's some sort of heritage type thing that says you've got to maintain them. Yeah. It strikes me as an area that you'd be under a lot of regulation. A lot of regulation mm-hmm. as to what you can and can't do. You know, I go, I want to build a shed. I go out and build a shed. I've got, you know, as long as I've got the money and get the material, it's not an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas. You build a feedlot up to 999 head and not have an issue? I thought it was 50, 49. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a certain amount, and then as soon as you go over, it's. I think you've got tears, yeah. yeah. Which is, actually, it sort of almost brings us into the next thing, cows. But, yeah, but I imagine there's all that other stuff that you've got to do to maintain, to maintain the prettiness. Mm. On the hedges, all the hedges you've got to trim, all that sort of stuff. Like Yeah, it is a, it's a landscape. It's not yeah. necessarily farmland as we yeah. see it. It's, a, it's pretty much a big, big open yeah. parkland garden. Pretty much. And, you know, as long as I'm not running around with the days or pushing trees, I'm pretty well to do what I want as I want on my place. I don't have to, yeah, I don't have to worry about someone in Canberra going, 
Well, actually, no, I think we should have hedgerows because they're very pretty and remind me of the mother country. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They die at the first drought anyway here. Oh, they would pretty quick. I don't yeah. even know that. That or alloy, the amount of alloy in the soil <laughs> hanging around would really gal up pretty quickly. That's a great one for environmental. Certainly. Certainly. So, But we did touch on cows. Yes. So sitting down with his agronomist. Yes. He talked about the potential of cows fixing his farming system. Had a little bit of a regen vibe. He was going to sell, graze them, make them pretty much confined to a certain amount of space, keep them there, graze it down, pretty much ro- rotate those that nutrition from pasture back into manures and then put chooks on it afterwards to try to... Yeah, the chooks, chooks yeah. come later in the season. and Yeah, yeah but that, that was it. It was... It's a very regen, biodynamic yeah, sort of approach. which isn't quite how soil science works. No, especially with... I think he bought 20 head in the end. Yeah, something like that. It wasn't many. No, no. The stocking density of that, you'd have to probably have them just in like a... About the size of my living room, which is only like, you know, four metres by 10 metres. Pretty much. It would, it would have to be pretty tight. Yeah, to try to get that even spread of nutrients. Yeah. You get it everywhere on oats paddocks or even high-performing pastures where your stocking densities are huge. You get high nitrogen and potassium spikes wherever faeces and urine have been. And no matter how how heavy you stock them. so Yeah. It's um, honestly feedlotting, as mm. you said. Yeah. That's probably your better answer. Yeah. He would have been better off buying 100, 200 head, putting them in a barn, feedlotting and putting all the grain back through them and then pulling that manure out and spreading it. It's a very... I guess inorganic system but it'd be the most even if you want to continue his cropping without the fertiliser inputs which is what he was sort of aiming at trying to achieve and that is the thing you got to remember and I've harped on it a fair bit in the podcast is every tonne of beef every tonne of wool or kilo whatever you're measuring in every tonne of grain that you pull off your place there is a you know element of nutrition that is coming off with that for every ton of wheat i think it's 20 units of nitrogen it's about three units of phosphorus that's um you do need to replace all of that otherwise you are mining your soils and your you know manures and that sort of thing from you know cattle that are grazing your pasture are only cycling it they're not um replacing anything they're just pulling it up from the ground and dropping it back on top it doesn't necessarily make the ground more fertile Yes, yeah, and that's the thing is like if you are having a highly productive system, removing a lot of tons of beef, you're removing a lot of lot of product, whether it be phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, nitrogen. You're still removing it. Yeah, and I, I actually used to do do agronomy for a guy that did this really well. Um, he had a like his cropping areas weren't massive. I think they're about the same size as mine, about two hundred hectares. But he ran a feedlot, and so all the grain, all the straw. You know, he just cut it all, ran it back through his feedlot and then ran it all back out on the crop as manure. And if you're there wondering, hang on, isn't all that beef going off? You know, is that still nutrient export? Yes, it is, but he was still also using fertiliser. Plus, the feedlot was at a size where he needed more than what he could produce. So he was buying in grain and hay as well. And, of course, when you're buying that, you're buying in nutrients some of which are exported in the beef, but some are left in your pens, scooped out and spread, and away you go. Yeah. 
Yeah, so was it going to solve his nutritional issue that he was trying to rectify completely? Probably not. Probably not, but it does make for a nice story to sell to the council, which he's got big issues with. Yes. Find out later. Yes. And um, nice little selling point for at the shop. Yes, certainly. And that's another addition since I'd last watched is he's actually created an on-farm store to yeah, sell some of the so that's, Yeah, so that, that was like sort of the main storyline throughout the last season. Yes. Was, you know, there was him getting into farming, how do I farm? And then him setting up the farm store. That, that was like the two main plot points I get. Mm-hmm. Which Whereas, is an interesting dynamic is something we rarely ever think about within Australian agriculture where you think about kilograms per hectare, yield productivity we don't think about value adding we don't think about how do we take our raw commodity and take it to the next level so it's a consumer good and that and that's because we're just in that bulk commodity chain yeah and population's a big thing too like there would have been a lot of people living relatively close by to that farm yeah whereas here like if i was to start it up at warrior like i might get a bit of an influx the first day i open it from town but we're not going to get hundreds and hundreds of people through it and just having it up my road yeah, we will say three people live on your road, if that. Uh, just, yeah. Yeah, three, actually. Yep. Yeah, three. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Population dynamic plays a lot into that. And you see it over the coast all the time. There's a lot more hobby hobby markets, farmers markets, everything yeah. over the coast, because you've got the population to support it. And that's it. You value add. You can, you can, within that hour, you can be down there at some farmers market selling mm-hmm. your gear. Yeah, storage isn't as big of an issue. No. No, and I do, and mind you, I sort of wonder, like, when I see that thing and you go, oh, you know, you just do this one a week. It's like, no, no, and they tell you the roster and you're like, that's pretty well seven days a week at farmer's markets. Do you get much time to do anything else, including the farming? It's a lifestyle. Yeah. For sure. Um, And from his cows, he bought 20 cows, some cow and calf units, some maiden heifers that were about to calve or or preg-testing in calf anyway, and... It was the prices were relatively similar to what we were experiencing at the same time. In yeah, probably, probably. Well, I think this would have been filmed early twenty twenty two because they got the go ahead after the um, after season one launch. Ah, yes. Or maybe it was twenty twenty one. It could have been a while. Um, but yeah, what, what did we work out there? It was it was about two thousand seven hundred dollars Australian for the maiden heifer, which. Sounds a hell of a lot, but they were pure shorthorn. Yeah. So, be the equivalent of buying a black heifer over here or something. Yeah, and you sort of think that, you know, given given the scale they're operating on, that it sort of makes sense that they'll be a bit dearer than they are in Australia. Yeah, and the cow and calf unit actually wasn't that far in front. It was only three and a half grand, which there was a lot of three-in-one units that were yeah. already in calf going for about four or five at that point in time um, that were sort of pure red shorthorn or Angus, um, which it... it and like we spoke earlier just at lunch that uh, Macca's Beef down there at Gloucester, they had um, cattle going for, oh, what were they? They were three and one, so PDIC uh, with cow at foot. Mm. They were going for five, five and a half at a sale last week. So Yeah. But they, they do run really good high-end mm. genetics. Yeah. And, and it was quite interesting that there was not much price disparity between the maiden heifer and the breeder. So obviously... The getting new genetics in, having that younger animal didn't necessarily mean it was cheaper. Like often in Australia, we buy heifers, they're a bit cheaper because we know the risks of having a heifer, but it was still a huge investment like yeah. for, for buying a heifer over there compared to what you'd commercially buy a heifer here. So that breeding stock 
yeah, huge, huge asset buying there. Well, and this number is going to shock you. Uh, this comes out a bit later in the series. His entire like expenditure on the cattle herd, so um, setting up yards and fencing and well, they, they do set up like a cow shed like they had the sheep shed or the, the shed that they picked them up from. What do you reckon they spent on that? I don't want to know. It's just going to be very, very expensive. I think it was about 250,000 pounds for 20 odd breeders. So yeah. nearly half a mil Australian. Yeah, there's not much economics behind that. For no, sure. no. You've got about 20 something head, don't you? Yeah, now I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you spend half a million to get into them? No, if I spend any more than adjustment and animal health costs, I'm running very, very tight margins. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, I can't be going and spending a lot of money on a lot of infrastructure that way. I've got a similar amount of head and yeah, mm. I, I also have not spent that much. <laughs> no, no. It's, um, they, they, they definitely do play in a different game over there. Mm. And when he was discussing taking on the cows with his agronomist and about his regen farming option is what you'd terminal, terminalise it, I guess. But yep. his agro brought up the issue of tuberculosis, how it was still endemic to the area because of the badgers. Yeah, the first response of Jeremy was kill the badgers, and they're protected, so you can't. So you've also got added disease pressure that can really rip away from your bottom end line with your economics. With yeah, the enterprise. and they didn't quite get into it in the first episode. They get like it comes a major plot point later in the season, um, but it's not like yeah, you, uh, you you have a cow with TB. It's a bit crook. Mm. It's you've got to put that cow down yep. and you've got to isolate the entire, the entire herd yeah, and farm. You, you yep. can't sell anything. You can't do anything. You're, you're in lockdown. Yeah. Yep. And we are pretty fortunate because from the 70s to the 90s, they did the TB eradication program, which, yeah, we've, we've done pretty well. Like Australia's animal health standards and disease standards are quite good. And for that, I guess... No, no, no foot and mouth, no yeah. mad cow. No, no TB. Lumpy, lumpy skin. At the moment, we're, we're pretty good. Yeah. But yeah. So, which it, it's good. It allows us to have freedom of production and not have to have those worries and also have the freedom access to markets. Like, as you said, as soon as you declare you have TB, you, you're shut down, essentially. You're isolated. And, and I think that was one of the interesting things in the UK during, I think, when they had foot and mouth. It didn't really affect the domestic prices so much. Uh, because most of their stuff's consumed internally. Uh, whereas in Australia... 60 to 70% export, straight up. Is it? I yeah. thought it was more than... I, I just it assumed might, it yeah, more. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, across the board. Yeah. But yeah, as um, as soon as that, that first cow gets infected with FMD in Australia... It's halted. Those export markets all shut. Yep. The price crashes. The grain price then crashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Australian farming system as a whole gets pretty yeah. screwed over. Yeah, feedlots aren't chasing as much grain because they well, they're, they're no, not they're not operating. Yeah, not yeah. operating. So, yeah, um, yeah. We just that's that's why as soon as it happens in Australia, there's no if end or buts. It's gunships in the air. Just start dropping cattle. Yeah, necessarily depending on how wide the outbreak is. Yeah, like that, that is how they did it with the TV. Yeah, 100%. just choppers in the air and yeah. There's a lot of buffalo too in the north. Yeah. And, and well, 
pigs are probably carry TB too, but they definitely carry FMD. So they definitely do, yeah. Yeah, so it's one of those things. It's not just a farming systems problem; it'd be an ecosystems problem, which mm. yeah, it becomes very political now. It's you're not in the seventies where you can probably you know do large scale culling or yeah. large scale management of those areas. So well, I just trying to get funding to do culling of anything at the moment, like. Um, mm. Oh, you saw my pig damage earlier. Yeah, it's pretty shocking and you saw them there. It's grown a fair bit since last time I saw it earlier in the week. Yeah, um, so looking at it there now, it's probably, especially you'd say 40% of the headlands have been ripped out easy enough. Yeah, and we we did aerial shooting there, oh, what was it, two weeks ago? Yeah, there's been like four or five aerial shoots in your area anyway. Well, we do it every six months. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is, you know, massive cost on us, but what else do you do? Yeah. So, yeah. At least they're not badgers. You can kill pigs. You can't oh, kill badgers. It. That's it. So, but yeah, outside of that, um, they got back into harvesting once the rain stopped and bringing up the insects again. They were talking about earwigs and how they were going through and pretty much getting it through their sample. Yep. Um, but they weren't going to get low rejected for it. So, yeah. Which is quite interesting compared to our system. Is like as you said, like we get three weevils and we're we're done for. With well, low. you get any weevils, you're done for. Yeah. Um, but I think earwigs, like, there were, you know, there's a fair few there once they're in the pile, but mm. I don't think they would have breached that three per sample no. limit. Like, it's, yeah. No. But um, anyway, more protein. And Durham wheat, not ground. Or yeah. Durham. Durham. Durham wheat for pasta. So, yeah, which, which is interesting. Like, high rainfall environment, I'd say the fungicides would have been excessively applied to try to keep that crop clean just knowing my experience with durham yeah i'd imagine you'd you'd probably be doing that anyway wouldn't you i'd say you would in a high yielding but you probably your your disease pressure would probably you'd have some sort of threshold for your bread weeks i'd say yeah you'd probably get away without you'd have your head spray to try to protect it but it probably wouldn't be as critical as what your durham would be yeah yeah i mean i only did the one fungicide in mine last year yeah which, um, yeah, I mean, it was only going to get one. I should have done that out of a plane, to be honest. Mm. I think the, um, yeah, just driving up and down to Sprite probably cost me more yield than anything else. It's quite interesting looking at some of the crops at the end of last year with plane applications, like as good as plane applications are, and sometimes you physically can't get on the ground, or as you said, you knock out, you know, another 3% of yield because you've driven over it. Mm. It can be quite difficult to get the coverage, especially for something like a head spray. So you'll get directional and you'll also get top down. So your top of your head is protected, your bottom's not. And yeah, it can, and you also, you penetrate like into the canopy. It's very hard, your penetration. So like with ground rig, you can pump a lot of water in there, get good coverage. Your ground rig will probably get your better job all the time. But yeah, your planes are tooling when it's too wet to get on there and you're not going to get on there for seven days and you're going to miss the boat. You better get in the plane. Yeah, what well, was that? Sixty-three bucks a hectare if it was three percent loss from mm. from running over it. From running over it, well, I think I'd probably be higher than that because three percent would be on a thirty-six meter boom, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah on a twenty-four. Yeah, so you'd be five percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is plus all your weird and wacky headlands because of your trees and your banks. Yeah, yeah. So all that fun stuff. Hundred and five dollars a hectare. Yeah, that's expensive. That it becomes very expensive very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, makes plants cheap. Really does. Yeah. hundred and... Yeah, that would have been another 10 grand. Mm. Yes. Could have bought a new fishing boat. 
Well, I thought your cheap $800 one was going all right. It was. Once I replaced the motor, that snapped in half. <laughs> you got the trailer registered too? Yeah, it's registered. Everything's registered. Yes. Well, that's good. I was, just, I was just curious if you ever got past that dilemma. Yeah, no, that, that, was, a, that was a good morning at the RTA. Yeah. yeah it would have been. Yeah, but um, yeah, dragged a boat all the way to Yamba only to have the motor snap into somewhere between the motel and the boat ramp. Oh, so it wasn't like halfway down to Gibraltar Range or something? No, no, that would have been... I would have felt better about that, honestly, mm. than just as I got to the boat ramp. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what people are here to listen about. Um, what else was there? Is that pretty well it? That is pretty much it for that episode. Um, I'll be quite interested to see how they deal with the subsidy issues. There was a lot of um, images of in the program of like Boris and a few other people talking about how agriculture won't be impacted by this Brexit. But I think... Given, How many PMs have they had since Boris? Exactly. And I think it, it's quite an interesting conversation to have is how do you balance subsidies and also inefficiencies? Like we've seen it in the past where anytime any government gets involved or any trading government or trading body gets involved in any market, you have inefficiencies created. So whether that be the floor price in milk, the floor price in wool, you pretty much hold up these industries until you rip them away and then a lot of people get hurt big time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, for yeah, all the all the things going on in the world, I think we're one of the very few that don't have any subsidies. I think New Zealand actually has it harder. Well, New Zealand does have it harder than us. Yeah, they're they, a lot more regulated than us. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't have any subsidies. They're a lot more regulated, and they've now got that carbon tax yes. or cow tax. Yeah, um, and I, I personally, it's. Yeah, it could go good or bad. Like being driven by the market's not a bad way to to set up your business because essentially you're striving for efficiencies. And I think that's why we are some of the leaders in the world when it comes to even things that aren't really on everyone's radar at the moment. You talk about like carbon footprint, everything else. We've always been trying to maximize efficiency. And I sat through some carbon neutral 30 meetings with MLA and the main thing that they were talking about was improving your productivity per hectare per millimetre of water will naturally improve your carbon, yeah, like your carbon yeah. amount you produce. So having a productive system and an efficient system is the gateway through to this. The more product you can turn yeah. off per hectare, mm-hmm. the, you know, you're minimising those overheads. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it all helps. And uh, yeah. We can't even get ag tech grants in this part of the world. So it must mean we're already really efficient. Unlike those poor buggers out at Moree or Armadale or all those blue ribbon areas that are getting those ag tech grants at the moment. Yeah, it's very sporadic where they, they seem to find a home for them. But yeah, it, yeah. There's, there's probably a lot more scope in our area to probably cover two aspects of it. Like Armadale, very heavy livestock. Moree, very heavy cropping. You'd think they'd do somewhere in between, but... Literally the Shire in between. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, quite literally. Yeah. Anyway, that's, I won't rant on that anymore. I've, there's entire podcasts on here dedicated to that rant. Mm. But yeah, anyway, I think that's it, unless you had something else. No, I think that's it for that episode. We'll have to crack in and watch another one to keep you guys updated on our thoughts on comparing Australian farming systems to British. The UK. Yeah. Yeah, we might get to the one where he talked crap about Australians for a fair bit. I'd be interesting to hear that. I'd like to hear that. Well, we're going to flood their market. 
Oh, no doubt. With all of the boats and all the trucks heading to port and all yeah. our bottlenecks we've got. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. From the other side of the globe. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, till next time, keep at it. <laughs>